Hey everybody, this is Matt. Stay tuned after the episode. We've got a special musical guest for you today. Local artist Claire Beeler. She's an incredible talent. And if you fast forward to the about one hour, five minute mark, you'll hear her song Mothman. She wrote, produced, performed all the instruments on it. It's a very cool track and thankful that I get to broadcast this out to you. So enjoy that and enjoy this episode with Michael Cox. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attend the Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thank you so much for your texts, your emails uh, on the Facebook posts when episodes go out. It really means a lot that uh, you're listening. And with me today is somebody that we had connected on LinkedIn in a professional capacity, mm-hmm. but I was a guest on his podcast and I'm returning the favor and turning the the microphone tables figuratively. Mm-hmm. And with that, I'd like to say hello and introduce Michael Cox. He's a sales recruiter with Zagworks. But we had a very interesting conversation even off the air the first time about, oh, let's see, failure, self-doubt, fear, <laughs> all that fun <laughs> stuff. So Michael, so good to see you again, buddy. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I And <clears throat> glad to continue the conversation or start a completely new one. Uh, the, the failure, I call it the FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt is something that I've become intimately familiar with over the years. And, um, you know, I've experienced a lot of those things um, throughout my career and, and life in general. That's probably a good place to start because yeah. uh, I was taking a road trip last week and i'd listened to this book called the nerve the science of fear and okay i wanted to get back to the origin point of why this book was on my radar and why it's one of my favorites and it's because at times in my life when i call these the the 2 a.m moments where i'm awake and i'm looking at the ceiling and there's on the continuum from anxiety to fear i it's not a self-help book. It's more about the science and the how the brain and the amygdala and all that kind of mess us up. Yeah. But um, with fear as that intro, what what has been scaring you? What has scared you the past couple of years? Wow. Yeah. Fear is is uh, you know the the ever present little whisper in your ear that says. Don't do that. <laughs> don't. And, and sometimes it's a good thing, you know. Don't touch the hot stove. You don't. You, you certain lessons you only need to learn once. Um, others you learn over and over and over again, and start to realize that fear that that is a lie. 
you know, and, and um, you have to become accustomed to it and realize that it might be something that you just need to ignore completely because it's there. It doesn't go away. And, and but it, it can't it shouldn't stop you. So the, to give it some context, fear is ever present in conversations that I have on a hourly basis, whether it be, I have to tell this individual that he or she was not selected for the opportunity, even though I know they're fully qualified and, and would have been a great hire. Uh, I'm, I'm a sales recruiter, so I'm always doing, uh, you know, having conversations about careers. And that person would have done well in that role, but they weren't selected. So now I have to explain to this individual, why not? And sometimes there isn't a really good reason, but I still, <clears throat> still have to have that conversation. So there's fear in that. And there's fear in um, having a conversation with a client that has you know, paid good money and has very high expectations. And I have to tell that individual that I haven't found anybody just yet. And so the hard conversations um, usually have lots of fear in them. And I'm having those hard conversations on a daily basis. Had about three of them this morning so far. So it, it's, it's a constant. Um, there, there is also fear in not having proper health insurance for myself, my wife, and our three kids. And there is fear in if I don't do something this month, two or three months from now, is, is going to be, you know, pretty rough. Um, that was the fear that I experienced when I first launched um, my, my own business. I left the corporate world behind. Um, and, and so that, that's a constant fear. And that fear is specifically was end of 2019 and all of 2020, which was nuts. Now it's, it's, like a lingering fear that if, if I have several months that are terrible uh, from a, a sales aspect or closing new business, then I might not be able to stack more months in the bank, if that makes sense. So yeah, man, fear is a constant. <laughs> Always. So my first question on that, and I had, I had to make some notes because there were several questions. Oh, so yeah, sorry. <laughs> we'll start with the, no, that's awesome. The, the easiest one is that when you're making those phone calls, do you still have a biophysical reaction to that? When you're calling the client or calling the candidate, do you notice mm -hmm. a change in your body is does it oh, absolutely. manifest still yes <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah and it's it's it is it can be very intense and, and to equate it to like uh something that uh, i have a phobia of and, and that is needles and uh i had started this new workout and i was having you know 
good success, but I may have pushed it too hard and my knee kept swelling up on me and it wouldn't go down. So I had to go get a, uh, a shot of cortisone in my knee. And I know the doctor very well. We're good friends. And um, afterwards, he you know shook my hand. He says, "Man, you got clammy." I said, "Dude, I, I'm sweating. <laughs> I am sweating because of that knee is gigantic, and and it felt like a uh, like you were doing it with a a, a straw. <laughs> the thing was huge. So I have the same reactions when I have to go in to meet with a CEO or president." And share with them, you know, that this thing is not working properly, and this is why I believe it's not working. And those things that are on my list, I'm thinking of one example in particular, the problems were all with his organization. And people don't like to hear about how they're doing things wrong, and yet I have to tell them. So I have a physical reaction to these conversations that is nervousness, tightness in the chest and, you know, clammy hands and maybe sweating a little bit. And I have found that um, the, the moment that I start feeling that, if I, if I kind of maybe having a monologue will we'll explain why I'm having fear and to myself and uh, will then realize it's kind of, it's a weird thing. It's almost like as soon as you start explaining it to somebody else, you realize that it's kind of silly. It doesn't get rid of it. But at that moment, I have a little bit more strength to say, you know what? I'm just going to go after it. I'm going to go. So if it's a, a, a phone call that I have to have, I will just start dialing. Forget about everything else. Just go through the <laughs> physical motion that almost makes you feel ill and just go and then take a deep breath and, and, and uh, you might get over it or not. Um, I, but I, I find that um, maybe even sharing, Hey, I was a little nervous to have this conversation with you. And that honestly, that honesty will often garner a bit of grace and, and, um, and then it feels a little bit more comfortable. But it never goes away. Uh, I haven't figured out how to get rid of the fear. If you have, let me know. <laughs> um, I will. I'll answer that. I want to come back to the whole reason why I'm having this conversation with you. As you mentioned, yep. honesty, and uh, you. Had, it was kind of a cold LinkedIn outreach to me about some position that you had open, and yep. into the the conversation or the discovery call where we're trying to get to know each other. Yeah. We quickly stopped talking about the role that you had. And yeah. I was like, this dude is very different than anybody I've experienced on the <laughs> recruiter side. <Yes>. And <clears throat> the, the tipping point from uh, initial outreach to, I would say a friendship mm -hmm. happened very, very quickly, but what resonated so much with me was you were so transparent in like the person you were looking for, for that role and what I had, and there were no false promises or the expectations that you set were absolutely met. Mm -hmm. And having been in the, the job market for, yeah, 
a while to find someone that <laughs> I would hope that you would be the the normal and not the outlier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm paying you a very, very high compliment. I appreciate that. Uh, you are a solid individual. And that honesty was the whole reason that I wanted to talk to you about that. I appreciate that. I, you know, I, I always jokingly say without the terrible recruiters that are out there, I wouldn't look so good. Um, <laughs> it, it's unfortunate though that individuals such as yourself have encounters with piss poor recruiters um we all start there but we we need to get better quickly preferably um but i find that in having more honest conversations i can very quickly say yes solid match no and here's why and more often than not it's typically something in the middle this does make sense and and i'm trying to be you know think out loud honestly and say you know matt this one makes sense for you because of this it doesn't make sense for you because of this so we need to talk about those two things those two Mm -hmm. extremes um and if i don't what i don't like Um, I almost went into law school and I remember sitting down with many attorneys when I was doing an internship in college. And the one thing that always, that they always hated was being, you know, surprised by something in court. I don't want to be surprised by anything when you're sitting in front of a client and you realize, no, this one doesn't make sense for me at all for these five reasons that are very important to me. And I'm going to tell the client, and then the client comes back to me and says, Matt was not interested in this because of these five reasons that are very important to him. Why am I speaking with him? So I prefer to have those more honest conversations because maybe it's because I'm taking a longer approach to this. I'm playing the long game and realizing that maybe this one doesn't make sense for you. But if I still have a conversation with you, which is ultimately always the goal to get on the phone with someone, maybe there'll be something three years from now that will, or five years from now, or even longer down the road. So if I have more of these conversations now, five years ago, four years ago, you know, it, it, it's it's like your, your pipeline is is should never be um, empty, and and you should never close the door on an individual because there may be something that might make sense for that person at some point in time. So, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yes, always trying to be honest. Sometimes it's not. It doesn't come across very nicely though. <laughs> I'll answer your, your fearless question here right after this quick anecdote with one mm-hmm. recruiter that had this opportunity and I put my resume through the applicant tracking system. I got the score where it looks, you know, 73% is a match yeah. and push this guy fairly hard. Like I just, anyway, long story short, like it had been a while and for me, that was probably 10 days where there was no next step, no follow-up, either in or out. I don't care. Just going back to sales, like either yeah. let's keep moving or end it. 
And when I have to reach out to the recruiter, that's a red flag for me, for them and their practice and their business philosophy. And he didn't even bother to edit the template or the, the form email that he sent back. And he was like, Oh, they, they really enjoyed the conversation with you, but they've went another direction. And I was like, fool, we didn't even talk. You didn't even take an extra three seconds to delete the template. Uh. And, and it was, Oh, let's stay in touch for future opportunities. Yeah. And I, no. <laughs> I invoked the 24 hour rule before I sent a response. <laughs> oh, that's smart. <laughs> I typed, yeah. I typed several, none of which were sent. Yeah. But the, like the first that popped into my head is like, dude, you can't even, you know, auto, you can't even fix your auto correct emails to go out. Like what, what faith do I have in your attention to detail yeah. or whatever, you know? Yeah, I guess maybe worst case scenario is he didn't remember you or your situation, what he had set you up for, or it was just a symptom of a combination of busy and lazy and and maybe sprinkle in a little, I don't care very much anyway. Uh, And on top of that, a thick layer of an attitude of there's a thousand other, you know, candidates just like you out there so i can burn as many bridges as i wish that that stuff is is bad <laughs> not the good one for that the personal brand yeah the one i've put a pin in that i still might do is like i still keep these phone numbers from these individuals and if yeah. i ever need to i haven't yet <laughs> full disclosure <laughs> legal protection here but like anytime a website needs a phone number <laughs> I may, yes, yes, probably not, but I yeah. have thought about that using their phone number for, you know, a cat fancy subscription. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can get darker after the cat fancy su- subscription. <laughs> but fearless. Um, so, yeah. you know, tying in like Band of Brothers and this book and a couple others I've read on fear is that yeah, there's a line from that HBO series where, um, yeah. Courage is being afraid, but doing it anyway. Yeah. And scientifically in these, in fearless, uh, sorry, in nerve, and then in a couple other of the science of fear, it's that you're not ever going to get the butterflies to go away. You're just trying to get them to fly in one direction. And (laughs) yes, and in no way would I ever be so bold as to call myself fearless or Mm -hmm. even courageous because i think that does people a disservice that these are going to be large things that are going to make someone bold or courageous but Mm -hmm. you hit upon something that i've experienced you just start dialing the phone you do the smallest step in the direction of what you're afraid of and then it starts happening and i i have call reluctance my phone sometimes weighs 500 pounds and I cannot pick that thing up, but I have a picture of my kids over there and I'm not calling for the company or for the client. I'm calling for them. Yeah. Those little things, those little, frankly, it's a, it's a trick, you know, maybe call it inspiration, but whatever forces you into, 
the slightest, smallest action, whatever works, right? Um, but you're right. The uh, the fear never. I don't even know if it. Well, yeah, I think it does dissipate once you become familiar with the lie. And and realize, okay, I've been through this countless times. Nothing bad ever happened to me. <laughs> I'm still nervous. Let's just go with it and start dialing that number or, or walking through that door and realizing you, you just need to get through it. And, and so I don't think that and maybe there are some individuals that exist that are fearless in this, or maybe it's just Hollywood. But I think it's more Hollywood. I think it's just some people get go through it so many times that that the the fear dissipates a bit and 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 they've grown accustomed to it, um, and, and they're they're motivated by service or um, relationship or, or, or motivated to just be a stand-up individual. Um, you mentioned ba- uh, Band of Brothers. That I, I read that book by uh, Major Dick Winters, Beyond Band of Brothers. Great book. Mm. And you realize, and he says it in the book as well, that you know, he, he, it's not that he wasn't afraid. It's just that he was driven by... <clears throat> his his love for the men that he was leading. So, yeah, <clears throat> and that's something else too that they talk about was that they talked about the the Mercury Seven astronauts and how they had trained any sort of negative reaction out of the subject. So. Yeah. I had no idea that uh, like Gordon Cooper, when he went up in one of the first Mercury missions that he lost all his instrumentation and he was basically flying this capsule and the, all the power stuff went out. He was panting because he had CO2, he was approaching CO2 poisoning and, but they had trained him for that. And so you had mentioned that it's somewhat becoming desensitized to it a little bit. And I I laughed so hard because when you said nothing bad ever happened, excuse me, I would, I would tell my sales teams, they're not buying from you. Now you cannot screw this up anymore. (laughs) It's at zero. I mean, you could, you could make it 100%. (laughs) Yeah. You could make it a hundred percent certainty that they'll hate you and they'll never take your call again. But yeah, where are we at the sale you don't have the sale you're at zero so relax yeah yes and and that might work and other sort of reasoning may work but i think i think it is definitely a combination of exposure therapy Mm, um, doing it over and over and over again and um, getting to an, a, a level of understanding that it's not going to go away. Nothing bad is going to happen. And we're talking about sales stuff. We're talking about, you know, having interactions with other human beings. Um, more often than not, nothing 
extremely negative comes from that. So <clears throat> if you can set up some sort of a, maybe a top 10 list of all the bad things that really make you nervous. And, and this is something that I had done is I start to map out what that conversation should look like. Cause for me, it's all conversations. These are the, the things that I need to get across. These are the best practices that I've developed. They're best. They're not the best. They're just good practices. Let's call it that. And maybe they're always getting better. So those good practices on what to say for all of those things that make me nervous um, and then just go into it. And part of the exposure therapy is practicing um, and being okay with failure and, and building, hopefully most organizations do this, building an environment where it is okay to fail miserably and then say, okay, <laughs> let's see if you can do it 1% better. <laughs> or, or suck at it just a little bit less and, and yeah. you know but but if you don't have that you've if you don't have an environment where it is acceptable to fail um then nothing's going to be innovated or created or developed or you're not going to move forward in 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 sales so two cents there Oh, absolutely. It's such an unreasonable expectation that something we've never done before should be executed perfectly. Yep. If we're, if we're building the plane while it's flying, how are we going to know what we're doing? While, while it's falling, <laughs> let's say falling while it's oh, falling. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. we we're capable, we've got skills, we're smart, we're adaptable, but we don't know exactly what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's where a lot of help or a bit of help can really help, if that makes sense. Um, when, I, when I left um, co the corporate world, um, I had many years of sales experience, but I also had sales recruiting experience, and I had led sales teams, uh, I'm sorry, sales recruiting teams, um, and, and, and all of that experience helped, but going from inside to outside, it's completely different. Nobody wants to speak with you. Um, the overwhelming majority of the human population has probably had a negative experience with a recruiter or headhunter. Um, and, and so you have to overcome a lot of that. Uh, I had an individual that I came alongside and he helped a ton with when you hear this, say this, but also with regard to marketing and approach and messaging and all zeroed in on what is ultimately the value that you bring to, to an organization. And, and we were able to, from that point, almost reverse engineer all of the bits and pieces that make up um, what an org what what my organization is so it's a lot it, it's it's a it you know, building something like as small as my little company you know takes a lot of work um, and and uh, you know some people make it look a whole lot easier than I than, than, than I do maybe <laughs> 
I want to get into the decision point to leave corporate and go out on your own. Yeah. What were the factors, perceptions? What did you see, feel that led to basically <laughs> getting into a very, very scary situation <laughs> voluntarily? Yeah. Yeah. I, I made the decision to um, leave. So I was at, at the point that I left Xerox, I was leading a team across the United States of sales recruiters. Um, and about maybe 30 individuals. And um, I had been in sales recruiting for many years. Um, I felt the pull and I saw, and I, I've always been a pretty good connector. So I was connected to many individuals that had already made that transition and were doing very well for themselves. And I, I dipped my toe in that as well. I, I worked a few opportunities for them, had very great success. Um, and the wife, um, she saw the results in, in the bank account, you know, cause I'm not going to do it for free. I fill mm -hmm. a few jobs for them, but I start from zero with regard to the search. It's not really zero though, cause they secured the client. They got them to sign. They built that relationship to the point where now they have an opportunity to fill jobs for their clients. I just did the filling, but I did it very quickly, very effectively, very efficiently. And, and, saw the reward for it. So that had happened several years past. Um, and I got to the point where I had that experience. My wife felt comfortable with that possible move. And things at work were not working very well. The frustrations that I, were, that, that I was experiencing were building. So I do recruiting in a certain way that is um, designed to get people from zero to they know me a little bit. Like if they saw my name somewhere, they might recognize it. Um, they kind of like me only because they don't hate me, right? <laughs> um, which is, as far as recruiting is concerned, it's a big difference. So they kind of know me. They don't hate me. I wouldn't say they like me and they don't mistrust me. Everybody always wants to say, well, that's how you get from no like trust. That, you know, that's, that's what you're trying to achieve. No, they know you, they like you, they trust you. Well, I would argue that they, they kind of knew me. Um, they don't dislike me and they don't distrust me. So that's a good foundation that I start with from, let's say the, the initial connection and initial messaging, whether it be over the phone, text, email, LinkedIn, wherever. And, and at that point, and remember, we're just at, they don't hate me and they don't distrust me. <laughs> at that point, the door is open for you to come to them and say something that makes a little bit of sense. And it, it, as a, the alter, the, 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 the messaging that I didn't like was, I have an excellent opportunity for you. Well, how, how, do, how do you really know that? I've got this perfect opportunity for you. You should yeah. come to Xerox. 
And, and that was kind of the state of messaging that, that they were comfortable with. Let's say they was people on high. And I tried explaining that you don't just get married on your first date. We have to go through a almost a courtship in recruiting. And it starts with, hey, Matt, we've been connected for some time. That's the purpose of connecting many moons before you actually need to leverage the relationship. And our relationship is at a one. The, the don't hate me, don't distrust me. And, and we need to take it from there to the point where he's actually wanting to accept an offer. And either I failed in my ability to communicate this is the way it should be done. There's a, a, a journey of a thousand steps. Everyone is a little baby step, but where you start is zero relationship and where you end is a very high level of trust and a very high level of they like me. Kind of like the Sally Field, you like me, you really like me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there are a thousand steps to that. And you don't just go from, you're not the asshole that everybody has experienced on LinkedIn, whether it's car <laughs> insurance or they're trying to sell you on, have you ever considered being a business owner? <clears throat> I get those a lot. But you don't go from connect to, I've got a great opportunity for you. It's a much longer process. So they didn't agree with that. I felt very strongly about the, 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 the recruiting methods that I had in place and, and that disconnect coupled with the fact that um, there, was, there was a lot of just negative behavior um, at the upper echelons of the organization that I couldn't jive with. So that pushes me out the door. Those are my push factors. And the pull factor, obviously, is I want to do this independently. It's much more lucrative. So those two things combined, the pushing me out and the things that are pulling me out of the organization, <clears throat> led to my action of leaving uh, Xerox and hanging my own shingle. I did that at the, let's say, October uh, time frame October of 2019. October, November were great. December was obviously a little slow, but it made some business. <clears throat> and then uh, January 2020 was great. February was good. March, in the middle of March, um, the Ides of March, I had some deals and, and they were about to send release the offer letters. And they said, you know what, we're just going to, we're going to get back to you. We're going to put this on hold for just a day or two, see what's going on with all this thing. And we'll get right back to it. And that obviously was the moment where it was completely frozen. So from that point until end of year, there really wasn't any business happening. So it, it was a, it was a stressful year. So eight months of no business. Yes. And, and I know I've shared this with you, but in that time frame, um, my wife is diagnosed with cancer. We have three kids and now they're stuck at home for the remainder of that school year and, and going to do the whole homeschooling. And I'm thinking I'm paying for private school and I'm having to 
you know, my wife is having to teach these kids <laughs> or, you know, that's kind of why we, we pay people to go do that for us. Um, <clears throat> so then the pandemic hits and, you know, my wife, when she, she has a surgery is recovering from surgery, gets her port put in, has to recover from that. Surprisingly, that was quite a, a, a tough thing to recover from. It was actually harder than the, than the surgery that she had and then chemotherapy. Um, and, and so everybody's masking up because of, you know, coronavirus and we're masking up just because the slightest bug could, could take her out. And no money coming in. Uh, yeah, man, it was a, 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 a fear-filled year, to say the least. But, um, you know, we survived off of um, savings. Uh, the, the, I, I would advise everybody, if you want to make a jump, make sure you have three to six months in the bank, uh, three to six months of expenses in the bank, and, and, and uh, hopefully that'll stretch out. So... It was a it was a, a crazy 2020 for sure. <clears throat> wow, that was nuts. And 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 then um, I mean, so maybe one of the pivots that really helped was when every when all else is failing. Um, I resorted to as far as work is concerned, just doing what I. Th- felt I could accomplish and, and would have good results with. So every, every client or prospective client that I spoke to, and I only speak to VPs of sales, I can't really sell into HR because I can't solve their headaches. Um, the headaches that I solved, that I solve, sit with the head of sales. Everybody is saying, no, we're not hiring, obviously. But I would pivot that into how are you doing? What's going on with, with sales in your organization? What I'm hearing from all the other VPs of sales that I'm speaking with, and that was kind of like the, I'm going to date myself here, but um, that was kind of like the EF Hutton moment. Remember mm. EF Hutton? Yeah. EF Hutton. When EF Hutton speaks, people listen. Um, I would. Um, mention I've, I've had lots of conversations with other VPs of sales. This is what they're doing right now. This is what they're seeing. This is what they're thinking. And that would garner attention. So I became like a hub of information to these individuals and I'm having conversations. I'm not trying to sell them anything. As a matter of fact, I helped many individuals through their transition, whether, whether they were VPs of sales or director of sales. Because suddenly their outlook, basically it was, no, we're not hiring. As a matter of fact, we're laying off. And on top of that, I'm about to lose my job. Let me see if I can help you. Resume, LinkedIn, how to interview with HR, then how to interview with the actual org chart, the sales org chart, because that's totally different. And I became kind of like a tour guide through that entire process for many individuals. Lo and behold, when those individuals land, Guess who they call when they finally do start hiring? So at the end of 2020, things actually started to move again. And the business that I secured from, let's say, Q4, really, it was like November, December 2020, through 
um, most of Q1 2021 was all from those relationships that I had built. Um, and, and so that wasn't the goal, but I was, I felt better helping people through 2020 and lo and behold, you get some business coming back from that as well, which was nice, a very nice icing on the cake, but not the motivation. I want to make sure of that. Um, so yeah, it was, a a very strange time and now everybody's hiring. So it's been, it's been intense. Well, your messaging would have come across very tone deaf had you stayed with your original business model, business plan, however you want to call it. Yeah. And people <clears throat> speculating, of course, but people would have been on the other end of the phone and would have asked you, do you get the news? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know what's right. going on in this world? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I was able to, you know, pivot to something that wasn't going to be helping financially, which is weird. So it, it might not have been a, a, a smart move, um, but there was no money coming out of recruiting anywhere anyway, or at least mm -hmm. not for an organization that had been around for all of three or four months. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was able to help other individuals. And, and one thing that I do remember that was motivating me um, was you're not going to, you'll get what you want if you help another pe uh, enough individuals get what they want or what they need. So that was kind of the, the initial purpose um, or reason for doing that. So I'm hearing a lot of adaptability in your character with your wife and the kids and the business. And where did that come from for you? I have no idea. Well, maybe it might be recruiting because every situation is different. I mean, it could be sales as well, because every conversation that I would have when I was in sales it, it's, it doesn't go by the playbook and it doesn't go by the script. You know, scripts are nice for me to train with, but I'm actually going to have to have real conversations with real human beings. Um, so maybe that helped prepare that, uh, prepare me for all of that that was going to go wrong, that did go wrong. Um, but that adaptability there, there's a, there's a Spanish saying, there's a, a saying in Spanish says, it says, no hay de otra. There, there's no other way. There's no other alternative, but go forward. Um, and if you don't adapt, you're, you're going to be stuck in not moving forward. Um, so my, I don't know if I would say, you know, let's, I guess if I'm being honest, my desperate shift was help as many individuals as possible. And I can't help people that are in tech because I don't speak that language. Um, so I, I was helping those that I could while trying to develop some sort of business somewhere, but that wasn't happening. <laughs> 
Well, the the Spanish phrase. What was it? No, no el otra. No, no hay de otra. De otra. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's when that's the only decision that can be made. It's an easy one to make. Yeah, exactly. When, when, when you get really tired of twiddling your thumbs um, and doing a lot of useless things that aren't helping anybody else anyway, might as well do something that is financially useless, but might help you keep sharp, you know, stay close to the people that you should be staying close to anyway. Um, and, and, keeps you informed about what's going on with your prospective candidates or clients anyway. So I was lucky. I mean, the weird thing is that in a group that I'm a part of that, that are, you know, some sales recruiters and a lot of other types of recruiters, they were trying to do this for the, for the money, you know, trying to charge people $5,000 for a um, LinkedIn review and a resume revamp and all that stuff. And I could not bring myself to doing that. So um, yeah, maybe, maybe that's why people felt um, as though they were on the hook to pay me back in some way. And some of those folks did um, in, in, in a future engagement. So it's uh, everybody does it different. Maybe. So in the middle of the <clears throat> pandemic, cancer treatment, kids at home, savings burn rate on there, <laughs> was there was there a moment that was the epicenter of testing your adaptability, fear? Did was there do you remember a moment or moments that were I don't know? Beyond how we're going to do this, I don't know no. if I can do this. Yeah, man. Um, uh, there were a few. The one that was most visceral, that was um, the scariest, was um, some a recruiter buddy of mine had sent me uh, an email that forwarded me something. He said, Hey man, I, I'm, I'm doing okay. We've got business coming in. Um, the, this company is asking for, they're looking for somebody to work contract work for them. So maybe, you know, you tell them, you know, your, your rate um, and, and maybe you go work for somebody else and leave the whole independent lifestyle behind. <laughs> So I had a conversation with them. They were very interested. It would have been, you know, a, a, a serious influx of cash, which we hadn't seen in quite some time. Um, and, and they were interested in moving forward. And I was desperate to move forward. The literally, so there's, there's like a, oh, there's always like a, you know, things in the background that are going on with any individual at, at the point of a, a possible career change. At that point, it was the funds are going down. This was around April timeframe. They wanted me to work full time with them for like six months. And it would have been a, a financial windfall. It would have been very nice. But and this is this is weird. I wasn't going to be able to dedicate any 
myself to anyone full time because of the care of my wife. I'm now doing the 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 driving around the kids to soccer and ballet and things like that to try and keep their lives at least a little bit normal and cooking and you know doing everything that I'm not saying that that was her job we both did that but at that point in time she couldn't do anything so caring for her keeping the house you know in order um, the family in order, and and I, I just wasn't going to be able to do it. Um, so I told them no. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, the fear at that point was, I need to go find another job, but I can't do that because I can't work a full time gig. Where am I going to go find a new job that will let me work for them only twenty hours a week, and when I choose to do so? So at that point, I think that was the, the peak of fear as a provider, sole provider that wasn't quite providing anything anyway, um, to, to decide to maybe leave all of this ridiculous working 80 hours so I don't have to work for anybody else for 40 hours lifestyle behind. So, yeah, that, I think that was probably the worst part. Or the worst point is nuts. That would be a a magnitude of a decision that, jeez, <laughs> wow. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It, we it was it was crazy, dude. I wouldn't wish this on on anybody. You know, everybody says I, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. I might wish this on on a worst enemy. I don't have any worst enemies, fortunately. <laughs> Just like low-grade enemies. I wouldn't wish this on any of those low-grade enemies. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, it, it, was, it was pretty intense. The um, thing started to loosen up, you know, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the economy. Um, right around that time frame as well. So maybe one of the motivators to not take on a full-time gig with some organization was that I was starting to see that. I was starting to hear that from the heads of sales that I was having conversations with. And shortly thereafter, um, it, it I, I started receiving some some work. And but now in hindsight, you can say, oh, yeah, that worked out nicely. But you don't see beyond that first little, that next baby step mm. that you have to take. And, and so some of those steps, you're seriously, it, I can feel myself kind of reaching with my toe to see if I can feel solid ground. And there, there really isn't anything. So, yeah, man, it was, a, it was intense to rely on that blind faith that there is going to be something there, you know, that will carry you through the next step. So not to get too deep on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the whole reason we're talking. Um, how long was the, the decision process, right? And that's the other thing that I've had to learn too, is that it's not necessarily the speed of the decision. It's the accuracy of it. So from the time that, 
you had the full-time offer till the time that you declined it. About how long was that? Do you recall? Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, there was a weekend in there as well, which is like, it just prolongs the the, the stress <laughs> of that, right? The, the Sunday scaries. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there you go. So I would say the decision had probably been made as I was having final conversations. I, I, I knew any is crazy. It was a, a, a hidden a blessing that I had no work at that time, but I knew I wasn't going to be able to work full time for anybody else. So that kind of made it easier. The, the difficult situation that we, we found ourselves in almost made it a little bit easier to say no, but it was probably so it was from a Friday to Monday and Monday I had a conversation with them and I said, look, these, the, these are the limitations that I have and, you know, sharing them once again in, in, in ugly honesty, um, the, the, what I could do, what I couldn't do for them uh, and, and then laying it on them, telling them not only the, are these my limitations, these are my expectations. And, and they were, you know, in agreement that that wasn't going to work, which was fine, which was also unfortunate in many ways. But, you know, not all decisions are easy. And a lot of them are fear-filled, but they, they, you, you can't run from that responsibility to make that decision. So they made their decision, which was, we, we, we can't move forward. So maybe I was robbed of the opportunity to make the decision when I laid out for them what I could and couldn't do and what they had to come up with to, to move forward. Um, but yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was difficult for me not to um, lie. I could have just lied to them and said, yeah, I'll do the work. I'm going to be working from home. This organization is in Europe. They're not going to know. I could just lie to them and say, I'm going to work full time and then not do it and see how long that lasts. Um, but uh, I, I couldn't do, I couldn't bring myself to doing that either. That was actually more difficult. That would have been more, uh, a more difficult decision to, to go with. Yeah. And you would have been exposed eventually, right? There's, yeah. you, you can only hide so much for so long. Yep. Exactly. Definitely. <clears throat> but I think that would have just from the, the looking through the straw on your world at that point, that would have added to the stress. I think so much, it would have alleviated the financial stress yeah. certainly, but at what cost? Because now you're choosing between that and you're choosing between your wife or your kids mm -hmm. or, um, <clears throat> or you could be sitting on a zoom call and I've experienced this when the, the dog barks or the doorbell rings, or you're in the middle of a conversation and then there's something, a, a distraction and not that your family is yeah. a distraction, but there's something that is. Yeah. It pulls you away. <clears throat> right. And then all of a sudden it's like, we're, we're literally sitting on a video call. Why is my pulse going up? This is not. <laughs> 
And yep. just to have experienced that for even one day, much less six months, like, oh my goodness. I, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So I guess maybe to fast forward, wife gets through chemotherapy. Um, and, and there, there is a lot of stuff that if you haven't lived through or, or been in close proximity to cancer, there's a lot that we don't know and we don't realize. Um, we ring the bell, she rings the bell and you think, okay, we're done with this. But you ring the bell at your last chemotherapy. So you still have to recover from that. And depending on what you're on and what they're pumping through your body, it's going to take a long time just to get past that last treatment. For her, it was about a month to where she would start feeling a little bit better. And then they would hit you with the next dose. So they just kept it constant. But that last one, her, her, her chemotherapy, she gets through it. That's one month. And then you're thinking, okay, well, bell was wrong, but we're not done with it. One month goes by. Okay. We're not really done with it because it takes forever to fully recover from chemotherapy. So it's, uh, we've had to learn to be not so frustrated, not so pissed off about how long it's taking to recover. I'm guessing it's probably going to take at least a year and maybe a year and a half to to get her to the point where she feels the way she did before. So it's going to, it's going to take a long time. Um, And so there are all these micro adjustments that need to be made um, to keep things close to um, an acceptable level of what you're now going to call normal. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, quite a journey, just the whole cancer thing, let alone you put on top of that, um, a, a total lack of income, um, and, and all of the things that, you know, that, that come with that, this would have been a whole lot easier for me to have done when I was single and had no kiddos. So <laughs> <laughs> what would be the fun in that though? <laughs> Do you think you would have been equipped though? Oh gosh, no, no. It's uh, not to say that people that are younger can't do it. Um, it's just going to look very different. And I've, I'm relying upon the callus that life has built up on me to, <laughs> to, to do all of this. You know, um, I, I find that the um, there there are no real highs or real lows in my life. Um, you know, most emotional moment. My daughter was born. My son was born. My other daughter was born, and I'm just kind of like, hey, this is a good day. You know, chill. Because um, there 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 everything is is um, just. I don't know. It's like gently rolling hills and every every now and again, you have something really major happen in your life, whether it be really high or really low. And I think you just need to live through it with this, a kind of like a, a, okay, we're, we're, we're going through this and and I need to be stable. If not for myself, certainly for others. 
um, through this entire thing. So, well, and the and the fact that I take pride in the things I've been through that have affected my outlook and my personality temporarily, and it could be sometimes say up to a year. But um, somebody had asked me this week if what would something that my friends would describe me as. And I would say resilient Mm -hmm. and I can tell we've spent several hours together and I can tell that it, it hasn't dimmed your light, your energy. Mm -hmm. It came back. I'm sure it went down and I'm sure it was, there were moments where you weren't Michael, but (laughs) you didn't stay there. Yeah. You know, the um, I'm getting close to platitude zone here. We need to be careful. Uh, I, I can't stand <laughs> the, the internet platitudes that have nice backgrounds. Um, but <laughs> circumstances don't define, should not define you. Um, and my wife isn't going to introduce herself as, hi, cancer survivor. Um, so those things don't define who you are. Um, and if that's the case, if you're not Matt, the guy that is this thing, then they shouldn't shake you either when, when something explodes in your life. Um, but at least myself, I, I, I don't think I could be as resilient now as, you know, without those, you know, 48, 49 years past having lived through some shit. Yeah. Those that, that, that say it again, what <laughs> you're, you're basically your, your circumstances don't define you, right? Professional podcaster here. Hey! <laughs> words, words are hard. Um, <laughs> if are. it doesn't define you it shouldn't shake you yeah there you go yeah that sounds okay. good put, put that on an instagram post <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking back to the simpsons where bart was getting his uh his pocket knife and they had the thing it was like don't do what donnie don't does <laughs> he's just like nice that could have been clearer <laughs> yeah exactly oh, nice job <laughs> oh yeah. that was awesome we're leaving that in <laughs> there you go yeah that's that's gonna be the clip <laughs> the uh yeah because if this had shook me i mean let's say failure for nine ten months I would have run back if, if that had shook me severely enough, I would have run back to the safe corporate, uh, corporate job, um, where I was successful. I was good at what I did and I had a steady paycheck and, and, uh, I had, uh, benefits for everybody and car, you know, they give me a car, they give me computers and a home office and a cell phone and all that good stuff. Um, if, if it had shook me, if cancer had shook us you know, deeply enough, does, does that change my status as father and husband? Mm-hmm. So hang on, I'm going to let the cleaning lady in. 
All right. So it's uh, those things that that you know make us more resilient. It's just life. You know, it's practicing life. Yeah. Um, and without that practice, I mean, maybe the simplest things would knock us down pretty quick. So, so true. Yeah, there may be something that'll, you know, knock me on my ass. I'm, ho- I'm hoping that I won't experience that just yet without having had uh, practice to prepare for it, right? <laughs> yeah, just, uh, just make me capable. That's all yes. I, that's, that's all I want to be. Yeah, man. Stand up in that. Well, Michael, this has been, uh, wonderful. Exactly what I expected. It was so hey. rewarding, man. Thank you. Um, no, I've enjoyed the conversation, man. I think we should do this on a regular basis. <laughs> I would totally but be down with that. The, uh, I, I, I often when sharing these sorts of things that you, you take a moment now like just over an hour's worth of time to look back and think wow yeah we did go through that because you know cancer comes and goes and you're think you're just left there in like the whirlwind and when 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 the whirlwind settles down and you're just kind of left there like wow that was exhausting um okay well i gotta get the kids to practice anyway uh but when you take a moment to to look back and realize, wow, we've been through some real crazy stuff, you know, you're able to to you know take account. So I appreciate the time to do so. Well, it's just been wonderful uh, adding you to the friend um, universe yeah. that I have. It's just a just a joy. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate that. And next time uh, you're over here, I'm over there. It, it'll be, you know. You, the, the categorization of, of friend these days when we've got so much going on is probably as simple, just as simple as somebody that I can sit across the table from and, and, and have a meal and a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then maybe upgrade that someday to, you know, if, if, if something goes down with this individual, I'd really like to, I'd really enjoy the, the opportunity to help out in any way I can, because that would be a blessing to me, not just to that individual, you know, I, I, you know, so maybe it's just very selfish. I'd like to, to be there for you kind of thing. Well, what a great thing to be selfish about for sure. Yeah, definitely. I'll post links to all of your contact info, but where can people track down the company, track you down? Wow. So Zag Works is the company. It's with an X, but if you spell it right, I've got that website as well. Nobody goes there though, and that's okay. That's more like just a <laughs> proof that the organization exists. Um, really, it would probably be just go to LinkedIn. You can find me there, Michael G. Cox, or even easier, go to thesalesrecruiter.com, and that'll take you to my LinkedIn profile. Um, and and the, the what's in it for you, if you'd like to connect, is if there is ever anything I can do, questions I can answer with regard to a job search, you know, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to either 
I'm either going to help or tell you that I can't because of some limitation of knowledge. And I'll try and get you to the right person. So welcome the opportunity to do that. A powerful ally for sure. Yeah, hopefully. So. <laughs> well, Michael, thank you so much for recording. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I've had a blast and, and look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks. And as promised, here is Mothman by Claire Beeler. You can find the whole track on Spotify in the show notes. Enjoy. Can I get a hoot for Mothman? Never spoke of the single out the sun in your town, but you hated the dark. Your best town was shot before the stars, you only wanted them when they were far. You beautiful, you said, you said, you said, I could fit you right into my palm. You said, you said, you said, I love the way you always seem to light up my life, but I guess I took the wrong. Now that when you kiss her, she takes socks to eye. I hope she's pretty as night. Now that when you fall to light, you own it so bad. I hope it burns. I hope it puts up a fire. Now I hope your dog days are your fridge in winters. I hope you walk with a limp. Now I hope you do everything with a sense of pride. I hope it all falls upon your grip. Trust you are much, but a better thousand bucks you wouldn't even be surprised. If you ever left, you said you said I never even let you try. You said you said you said I pick your bright pull apart every veil and lens of face, but I guess I was a lie. And I can never spat on you. I said I said, but we are lie. Now the when. Kiss her today, socks see to eye. I hope she's pretty as night. Now, if the when you fall to light, you won't. It's so bad. I hope it burns. I hope it puts up a fire. Now, I hope your dog days are your fridge in winters. I hope you walk with a limp. Now, I hope you do everything with a sense of pride. I hope it all falls upon your grip. Days are your fridge winters. Now 
Upon your grip, I bet the wind you can't search and taste like Peter. I bet that's pretty as night. I bet the wind you fall into the light you want it so bad. I bet it burn, I bet it put up a fight. I bet you die, days are your fridge, your winters. I bet that you walk with the limb. I bet you do everything with a sense of pride. I bet it all falls apart. Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest and good friend Randy Wiafe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple transistor or spotify and i know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest and if you do please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com thanks for listening Thank you.